Welcome to the Terry Podcast, Tales from Near and Far, read to you by Pratam Data. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens, read to you by Pratam Data. Chapter 8, Part 1. England under William I, the Norman Conqueror. Upon the ground where the brave Harolds fell, William the Norman afterwards founded an abbey, which, under the name of Battle Abbey, was a rich and splendid place through many a troubled year. Though now it is a grey ruin overgrown with ivy. But the first work he had to do was to conquer the English thoroughly, and that, as you know by this time, was hard work for any man. He ravaged several counties, he burned and plundered many towns, he laid away scores upon scores of miles of pleasant country, he destroyed innumerable lives. At length, Stigand, Archbishop of Canterbury, with other representatives of the clergy and the people, went to his camp and submitted to him. Edgar, the insignificant son of Edmund Ironside, was proclaimed king by others, but nothing came of it. He fled to Scotland afterwards, where his sister, who was young and beautiful, married the Scottish king. Edgar himself was not important enough for anybody to care much about him. On Christmas Day, William was crowned in Westminster Abbey, under the title of William I, but he is best known as William the Conqueror. It was a strange coronation. One of the bishops who performed the ceremony asked the Normans, in French, if they would have Duke William for their king. They answered, yes. Another of the bishops put the same questions to the Saxons in English. They too answered yes, with a loud shout. The noise being heard by a guard of Norman horse soldiers outside was mistaken for resistance on the part of the English. The guard instantly set fire to the neighbouring houses and a tumult ensued, in midst of which the king, being left alone in the abbey with a few priests, and they were all being in a terrible fright together, was hurriedly crowned. When the crown was placed upon his head, he swore to govern the English as well as the best of their own monarchs. I dare say you think, as I do, that if we accept the great Alfred, he might pretty easily have done that. Numbers of the English nobles had been killed in the last disastrous battle. Their estates and the estates of all the nobles who had fought against him there, King William seized upon and gave to his own Norman knights and nobles. Many great English families of the present time acquired their English lands in this way, 
and are very proud of it. But what is got by force must be maintained by force. These nobles were obliged to build castles all over England to defend their new property and do what he would. The king could neither soothe nor quell the nation as he wished. He gradually introduced the Norman language and the Norman customs, yet, for a long time, the great body of the English remained sullen and revengeful. On his going over to Normandy to visit his subjects there, the oppressions of his half-brother Odo, whom he left in charge of his English kingdom, drove the people mad. The men of Kent even invited over to take possession of Dover, their old enemy Count Eustace of Boulogne, who had let the fray when the Dover man was slain at his own fireside. The men of Hereford, aided by the Welsh and commanded by a chief named Edric the Wild, drove the Normans out of their country. Some of those who had been dispossessed of their lands banded together in the north of England, some in Scotland, some in the thick woods and marshes, and whensoever they could fall upon the Normans or upon the English who had submitted to the Normans, they fought, despoiled and murdered like the desperate outlaws that they were. Conspiracies were set on foot for a general massacre of the Normans, like the old massacre of the Danes. In short, the English were in a murderous mood all through the kingdom. King William, fearing he might lose his conquest, came back and tried to pacify the London people by soft words. He then set forth to repress the country people by stern deeds. Among the towns which he besieged and where he killed and maimed the inhabitants without any distinction, sparing none, young or old, armed or unarmed, were Oxford, Warwick, Leicester, Nottingham, Derby, Lincoln, York. In all these places and in many others, Far and sword worked their utmost horrors, and made the land dreadful to behold. The streams and rivers were discoloured with blood. The sky was blackened with smoke. The fields were wastes of ashes. The waysides were heaped up with dead. Such are the fatal results of conquest and ambition. Although William was a harsh and angry man, I do not suppose that he deliberately meant to work this shocking ruin when he invaded England. But what he had got by the strong hand, he could only keep by the strong hand, and in doing so he made England a great grave. Two sons of Harold, by name Edmund and Godwin, came over from Ireland with some ships against the Normans, but were defeated. This was scarcely done when the outlaws in the woods so harassed York 
that the governor sent to the king for help. The king dispatched a general and a large force to occupy the town of Durham. The bishop of that place met the general outside the town and warned him not to enter as he would be in danger there. The general cared nothing for the warning and went in with all men. That night, on every hill within sight of Durham, signal fires were seen to blaze. When the morning dawned, the English, who had assembled in great strength, forced the gates, rushed into the town and slew the Normans every one. The English afterwards besought the Danes to come and help them. The Danes came with 240 ships. The outlawed nobles joined them, they captured York and drove the Normans out of that city. Then William bribed the Danes to go away and took such vengeance on the English that all the former fire and sword, smoke and ashes, death and ruin, were nothing compared with it. In melancholy songs and doleful stories, it was still sung and told by cottage fires on winter evenings, a hundred years afterwards, how, in those dreadful days of the Normans, there was not, from the river Humber to the river Tyne, one inhabited village left, nor one cultivated field, how there was nothing but dismal ruin, where the human creatures and the beasts lay dead together. The outlaws had, at this time, what they called a camp of refuge, in the midst of the ferns of Cambridgeshire. Protected by those marshy grounds which were difficult to approach, they lay among the reeds and rushes and were hidden by the mists that rose up from the watery earth. Now, there also was, at that time, over the sea in Flanders, an Englishman named Hereward, whose father had died in his absence and whose property had been given to a Norman. When he heard of this wrong that had been done to him from such of the exiled English as chanced to wander into that country, he longed for revenge, and joining the outlaws in the camp of refuge became their commander. He was so good a soldier that the Normans supposed him to be aided by enchantment. William, even after he had made a road three miles in length across the Cambridgeshire marshes on purpose to attack the supposed enchanter, thought it necessary to engage an old lady who pretended to be a sorceress to come into a little enchantment in the royal cause. For this purpose, she was pushed on before the troops in a wooden tower. But Hereward very soon disposed of this unfortunate sorceress by burning her tower and all. The monks of the convent of Eli, near at hand, however, 
who were fond of good living and who found it very uncomfortable to have the country blockaded and their supplies of meat and drink cut off, showed the king a secret way of surprising the camp. So Hereward was soon defeated. Whether he afterwards died quietly, or whether he was killed after killing 16 of the men who attacked him, as some old rhymes relate that he did, I cannot say. His defeat put an end to the camp of refuge and, very soon afterwards, the king, victorious both in Scotland and in England, quelled the last rebellious English noble. He then surrounded himself with Norman lords enriched by the property of English nobles, had a great survey made of all the land in England, which was entered as the property of its new owners, on a roll called Doomsday Book, obliged the people to put out their fires and candles at a certain hour every night, on the ringing of a bell which was called the curfew, introduced the Norman dresses and manners, made the Normans masters everywhere, and the English servants, turned out the English bishops and put Normans in their places, and showed himself to be the conqueror indeed. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please comment and please like it and subscribe. Please do let me know if there are certain tales from whichever part of the world you might be in that you would like me to read. Thank you.